Hello, welcome to Be With The Word. This is our episode 51, and we're really excited to be with you this week. And we have a really interesting topic. Uh, this is the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. If you haven't already and you want to hear these readings, go over to Hear The Word, episode 51, and listen to us read them to you. And come right back, uh, and we'll talk about them. We... Um, we're also excited, Dr. Peter, by the way, Dr. Peter is here with me. How are you doing, Dr. Peter? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you, Dr. Jerry. Yeah, yeah. And we usually mention I'm a marriage and family therapist in Atlanta, Georgia. And right. And I'm a clinical psychologist in Indianapolis, Indiana. Right. And that's what we really do. I mean, you got to remember, Souls and Hearts, this is like our side gig. You know, like we're, right. we're like full-time clinicians. So, you know, this is just something we do on the side. We're not media psychologists or media mental health professionals, like we're actually in the trenches working with a lot of trauma and just a lot of stuff that just comes in uh, when, you know, when we work with, uh, with regular clients. So, yeah. And we've been enjoying doing this uh, program for almost a year now, almost a year. Um, it's hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I've loved it because it's really gotten me into the liturgical year. It's really immersed me in the readings, it's forced me to do some research sometimes, but yeah. also really to make the application between the word of God and what is effective and useful and helpful psychology? Right. How right. do they come together? How do they come together? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's what I've loved about it too. It's really brought me deeper into a study of the word of God. Uh, I've had the benefit of being able to buy like dozens of books um, on this stuff, which I love to do uh, and that I can use now. And so it's really been great for me that way too. So yeah. it's been And we wanna let you know that we're gonna talk a little bit at the end of the show about the next liturgical year, because starting this coming Advent is going to be, what is it, cycle B, a year B. Cycle B, yeah. Yeah, so um, it'll be different readings and so on. And we're actually going to make some changes to be with the word and hear the word. So if you want to hear about those changes that are coming up, please be sure to listen all the way through, and we'll talk about them then. All right, well, let's get into it. Dr. Peter, this right. was your topic today. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the, yeah, how, so some things can't wait until the last minute. So, so I'm reading through the readings today. And of course the gospel is the gospel about the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgin virgins. Right. And so I'm like, wow, I just, I just for some reason really homed in on wise and foolish. Right. And then the first reading was all about wisdom. Right. So that's really kind of the set that I was coming into it with. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to think about like, how am I, how am I being foolish? You know, and what, what, in what ways am I not ready? That whole idea of readiness. So that was the big thing that came to me. Yeah. You know, it's funny um, in that first reading from the book of wisdom, which is cool because right. it's deuterocanical, I believe. So if you're yep. uh, not a Catholic listening, you might not even be familiar with that, that book. Um, but it's a beautiful book. And I actually, I'm wondering, um, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Sometimes people don't know, like to me, there's intelligence, which means right. you know things, but then there's wisdom, which is different. Any yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually had, you know, as I was making notes, right, this is not, this is not intelligence, right? Because we all granted different levels of intelligence. Um, but what this, what this passage says is that whoever, 
you know, that, that whoever seeks her is going to find her. She is found by those who seek her and she hastens to make herself known in anticipation of the desire. So, so this isn't something that, you know, you acquire over time or that's sort of an innate, you know, it's not your IQ. It's something entirely different. This is something, wisdom is alive. In other words, she's got her own volition. She's seeking us out. So it's very different than what we would think of as intelligence. Yeah. I mean, it's person. I feel like it's personified here. And I, my right. thought was honestly, is, or is this talking about the Holy spirit? Cause I know that the Holy spirit has sometimes been described in these terms. Right. And we have even the most famous, you know, Byzantine church of all time was the Holy wisdom. Hagia Sophia. And this idea of, of Holy wisdom. Um, so to me, is it like, well, it's not an actual person unless we're referring to the Holy, an element or an aspect of the Holy Spirit, right? Right. right. I mean, some of the commentators on this will talk about the uh, the wisdom as the personification of the Spirit of the Lord, hmm. the Spirit of the okay. Lord. Okay. Um, you know, and you know, there has been an identification at times with the wisdom, especially in this, in you know, being referred to as uh, as a woman in the in the you know as a as a as a female, right, as being with our our lady, um, but um, but yeah, my sense of it again is that this was that this is, you know, the 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 personification of the spirit of the Lord. That makes oh, I like sense. That. I like that. That makes sense. Now I'm caught in this wisdom passage by the idea idea of prudence because I do right. I think we can be intelligent. And not prudent, right? And therefore, we're not wise, right? So, right. to me, I'm wondering whether it's using intelligence in a way or part of intelligence with pr- the virtue of prudence in order to do kind of the right thing, or do right. So, so think of intelligence as sort of a. I think of intelligence as sort of a neutral attribute, right? You could be highly intelligent and using that intelligence in a in a really poor way. Right. You yeah. could be an evil genius or something like that. Right. Um, a villain. Uh, but if you're if you really possess wisdom, I mean, that's going to influence you in a different way than merely possessing intelligence. Yeah. And, and that does go to the other virtues, you know, per, prudence, for example, as you mentioned. So, yeah. so think about it that way. Right. Because, okay. again, it's about a relationship. Right. I mean, one of the striking things about this this way of representing wisdom is that it's not an abstract concept, but it's a, it's a relational reality. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's not going, she's not going to stay with you if you're busy doing evil, whereas your intelligence will stay with you as you do evil. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cause I think about prudence and wisdom in terms of relationships, in terms of knowing when and when sometimes it's not a good idea to say something. On a basic right. level, like, like if you're in a relationship with somebody, you might know the right answer, but it may not be prudent to say the right answer. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So really, it's about it's about having the grander design in mind, and really caring for the relationships too. That's right. I, I would think of it as being, again, especially in the way that it's presented, as be, being more godlike in the way that you relate with other people, right? And that's gonna, that's gonna inform everything from, yeah, being in the mode of the receiver, right? Because we've all heard it in apologetics, right? It, it, there's no good in winning the argument if you lose the arguer, right? Okay. For example, oh, um, yeah. and so. 
I see that all the time, like on Facebook and places and somebody comes up with some notion or some suggestion, maybe it's a political or something. And, and people come in with like gangbusters on them. And part of me is going, you know what, you might be right. I might even agree with you intellectually. You have a really good point there, but you just damaged your point the way you came across. Right. And that's, to me, that's a lack of wisdom and well, pride coming in. And if we and if we think about this as the spirit of the Lord, right? I mean, how beautiful that she hastens to make herself known, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever watches for her at dawn shall not be disappointed, for he shall find her sitting by his gate. In other words, the spirit of the Lord waiting for us, mm-hmm. right? Almost like you might almost think of it as like how a servant might wait, right? At the gate, waiting for us. That's how much we're being honored here uh, in, in spite of our fallen natures, right? In spite of our sinfulness, in spite of all the mistakes we make, in spite of our unworthiness of the perfection of God, mm-hmm. wisdom seeks us out. Yeah, And that's really different than the way that the Greeks conceptualized philosophy because the Greeks felt like you had to go out and find it, like you had to earn it, right? You had to go out after wisdom. And what this is saying in contrast to the Greeks is that no wisdom comes to us if we're mm. open and receptive. Oh, you interesting. Know? Yeah, it's a receptivity, isn't it? That's interesting. Yeah. We have to be receptive. And we have a way of grasping, which is pride, and right. to know and enforce right. that rather than this sort of like a receptive position. And people will actually gravitate toward the wise person. Right. They don't, the wise person doesn't need to go around in their face. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Well, and that's also, that's also how children can be wise, right? Mm -hmm. Even though we might not think of them as, you know, super intelligent, you know, or super capable or super competent, but if they have that receptivity and they're in touch with, if they've invited God in, even, you know, ones that are, you know, young, really really young, there's a difference there, you know, that, that, now, in the gospel, though, the message seems to be around preparedness. Right, right. Which adds a dimension so, to this, right? Right. So I'm thinking, so that led me to believe that these five wise virgins cultivated a relationship with wisdom. In other words, they have been in relationship with wisdom through months, through years, through decades, right? As opposed to. Um, the foolish ones who may be very intelligent, very resourceful, very quick on their feet. You know, these are the ones that could cram for an exam, you know, skip the reading for the whole semester, but like hammer it out in the last two days, you know, and pass the test. You know, I was sort of thinking about it in terms of those, but some things you can't do that way. Some things can't wait until the last minute. Hmm. And, um, and I it's didn't read that. not meant to be frightening and scary for people with ADD or people. Who no, no, no. I mean, God understands exactly where you are with all of those things. And, you know, and it takes all of that into account, of course. But uh, in the commentaries that I read, I didn't see this anywhere, but I still found it useful for me to, um, to think about. And that was like, what if we thought about the virgins all falling asleep as their death, you know? Um, like, just, you know, cause obviously sleep is a, you know, it's got some characteristics of death and literature. They're often, you know, they're often called sisters. Um, you know, and I was thinking, you know, if, if that, if we thought about it that way, it would make sense that there wasn't any more time mm-hmm. to build up this formation, 
Yeah. This human formation. Yeah. There yeah. comes a point where you have to be cultivating your relationship with God throughout your life. It can't just be, I mean, we know, I mean, it's interesting because there are passages where the people come in and work at the 11th hour. Just the 11th hour, right. We, we do get that notion. And yet here we're getting a warning. Eh, you need to develop. Right. You can't be caught unawares. Right. And, and there are cases of deathbed conversions, right? But that is not the, that shouldn't be the, the, the default that we go to, right? Because we don't know the day or the hour. And so this, this whole concept of readiness. Now, if you look at like, this is a parable, a lot of commentators have talked about how it's also an allegory and the, the oil sort of represents good works. Now, this is a little near and dear to my heart because in high school, we did the play Everyman, which is a 14th century morality play. And I got to play the role of good works, right? So I actually got to accompany Everyman as good works beyond death, right? Every, every Every other aspect, every other faculty left Everyman before death. Good works went with him after death. Knowledge parted with him right at death. Good works followed with with, with every man, you know, past death. But I started to think about this as not just good works, but like formation, human formation, human formation and spiritual formation that, you know, this is actually a deliberate effort to form ourselves and to be formed, mm. you know, to become, to possess virtues, not simply to be nimble in emergency situations so that we can get ourselves out of difficult scrapes. Yeah. You know what? I love that. I, I think that's really interesting. You know, I was thinking I, the little bit of research I did, because I knew you were leading it today, but I, I, I got a little context in the Jewish culture and that and weddings mm-hmm. and then their weddings would go on sometimes for a whole week. Like people didn't take a honeymoon. They went on for a week or so. And then even in some cases, like the bridegroom would arrive and it wasn't even necessarily a fixed time. Right, right. Because like, the story just sounds so weird. Like the bridegroom arrives and there's all these women like with these oils, like what the heck? But in What's fact, that on? happened. Like the bridegroom would show up and usually somebody would announce his coming. But if you were if you were asleep, you might miss it and you would miss out on the festivities or, or some extent or you would look silly. And And I think that is interesting that the reality here God is pointing to is this is a feast. It's a feast. Exciting. Yeah. Anybody that's excited about this feast is definitely not going to show up without oil. Definitely. Well, here's and so one of the things I was reading about is that you know on the on the on, right before the wedding, a lot of times the wedding arrangements were negotiated between the groom and the bride's father. Right. So that included issues around dowries and things like that. So there were and those negotiations could be protracted. You didn't know how long that was going to take to hash out all the details of the marriage contract. So so it could go on into the evening. Right. And that's and that's that wasn't particularly unusual. And, you know, I was thinking about these these uh, the imagery here. And what I was reading is that, you know, a lot of times we think of a little oil lamp and it looks a little like Aladdin's lamp. You know, it's got the little the little handle, the little spout and the little flame on the end of the spout. But remember, there's a procession in the darkness to the groom's house. And so these torches were probably much bigger. They were probably cloth wrapped with like a fair amount of oil in order to provide enough light. Right. These virgins were to light the way for the procession into the groom's house. 
right? And so when you're doing, and there were no street lights. I mean, this, this is, you know, this is first century. This, there was, there were real like safety concerns, like real, like, you know, prudent, prudential concerns. So that when the, when the wise virgins set that limit and boundary, we're talking about boundaries about, you just can't have my oil, right? Because there may not be enough for us. All the torches could go out, you know, before we actually get to the destination, they were actually being prudent and refusing to uh, to divide the, the shares equally. Okay. Yeah. So I thought I that was assume, like my first reaction is, wow, they're not very nice. But then when I was looking at it some more and understanding parables, usually a parable has a point to make. It's not trying to make right. a point on every little element. Right. It's not a parable about charity, right? Or about helping someone else who's not, right. you know, it's really about being ready yourself. Right. The need. Right. And, and, and I always, the, the thing I thought too, which was so fascinating, was not only um, were they, you know, to have to be ready for the last minute, but they actually like asked someone else, like they asked the other virgins, can I have your oil? They're right. borrowing something. So the way I saw that was you can't borrow a relationship with God. You can't borrow character. Yep. No, that, that's something you cultivate or not. Yep. And, and, so and you either the charity, right? Part of the wise virgins, it's really a question of they just can't give it to somebody else, right? If you look at the oil as that human formation, right? It, it's not a givable thing, right? And yeah. and so there may be some of us that want to get to heaven on the merits of Aunt Irene's prayers for us, but it actually doesn't quite work that way, even if Aunt Irene is a, a real bona fide saint. You know, we've actually got it. We've got to engage in this. Yeah, uh, we've got this preparation on our own. Yeah. 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 Well, that's okay. beautiful. So, uh, so I got to thinking, okay, what, how can we assess our degree of wisdom or foolishness? How can we assess our readiness? And since this is souls and hearts, and since we really, as mental health professionals, are focused in on the, the human side of this, the natural side of this, the psychological side of this, I actually came up with a little uh, assessment tool, a little assessment exercise that, that you can do. All right. Um, and, um, and so it's got a couple of parts to it. And I thought that we might get to that right now. Is there anything, is there anything else we should talk about about these readings? No, I think it's good. It's good. All right. Pig or what? What's that? Am I your guinea pig? Well, you're not going to do it right now. You're not going to do it right now. But I I do want your reactions to the to the kind of questions that I'm going to raise. All right. right. So so there are basically the the church teaches that there are two ordinary means of sanctification, two ordinary means of sanctification that is becoming holy. Right. One is prayer and the other are the sacraments, prayer and the sacraments. So I thought we'd just stay with prayer. And so. I'm going to invite you to schedule your prayer, be deliberate about your prayer, and then see what gets in the way. Something is likely to get in the way, right? Maybe you've already got a, a prayer routine that you're trying to follow. And, you know, as for almost everybody, it doesn't work out all the time. You know, there's, there's going to be things that get in the way. And I'm going to invite you to consider on a human level, on a natural level, on a psychological level, what's getting in the way. And I came up with uh, a list of things that can get in the way. So I want you to, to be, you can, you can start thinking about that now. Um, but even more important, 
would be to look at like what got in the way of the praying that I wanted to do this week. What's getting in the way? And then I have a list of 10 things that on a natural level that could get in the way. All right. So, so the first one was a lack of structure or discipline. This is where we forget, we forget to pray. Um, and so I just thought I'd bounce that to you. What do you think about that? I think that one is true. I think there has to be a prior commitment mm-hmm. to that structure and whatever it is. And, and wherever you are in your prayer life and ideally maybe talking with your spiritual director. But for me, I know I have to set like morning and evening prayer. Yep. And so, and, and for me, I know that um, if I don't get up extra early, it won't happen. Like it just, I'm not a morning person by nature. So, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, my, if it left my own devices, if I was having to like go off to work, it would be a question of, get up, jump in the shower, grab a coffee, throw on my clothes, get out the door, off I go. Right, right. And so I can't just leave it at that. I have to right. actually build in an extra half an hour or an hour before that happens. So right. I actually structure it. So right. I know what you're having to say there. Yeah, that's that. I, that's exactly the type of thing I'm uh, I'm coming up with. And there have been some things that have come out. For example, the Halo app just came out in the last two years, right? They have right. been like enormously successful because I think they can actually help you with that with that structure, right? Where you deliberately set aside the time. And people do that for things that are important to them. You, you know, get people do that on Halo too, like time to pray. Right. You can get, you can get alerted. Yep. And they've yeah. got all kinds of aids to help with the structuring of it so that you're not just kind of left to your own devices and feeling at sea with it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say, I don't know if this falls in this one or maybe it'll come up later, but it's coming to me and um, is having a place that's dedicated for prayer. Like you've been in my house, so you know, like right. I have a prayer room. And wow. for me, that just helps me and have, and try not to do anything else in there because it's like, I have to walk by that. <laughs> God's like, come on, don't get this yet, you know. And and like I can't ignore it, but I also it's a nice place to go. It actually is inviting, and it is. It is. I've prayed in your prayer room. It's a prayer room. It's wonderful for that. It's got candles. It's got icons. It's got all kinds. It's got a little library. It's got very comfortable seats, kneelers. It's a great place. <laughs> yeah, um, it's very well developed. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that structure. That structure, and that may mean you know that you write it down in your planner, program it in your phone, whatever it takes to set aside the time. The first thing we need is the time. Yeah. The second thing that I think people really struggle with with the prayer life, it, on the human level, is, and we're not talking about any vices here. We're talking about natural level issues. Like these are psychological issues, right? Um, the second thing is a lack of accountability. You know, like, you know, because a lot of times people will do the things that they're accountable for to somebody else. They'll get the, what, what the boss says to get done. They'll get that done. Um, or they'll get what they're accountable for, for, you know, for some other authority figure, but when just left on their own, eh, especially if there's not a huge desire or it's not, it's not built into a routine yet, it slips. Mm-hmm. So just you know, think your thoughts on accountability. Like, like you almost would need a person, another person. To help mm-hmm. hold you accountable, um, I know for me um, in that case, I I have like a set thing that I normally do, mm-hmm. but if for some reason something's interfering, uh, and it's maybe it's out of my control or it's just my own fault, 
I can, I have a, like a default minimum. So right. I, so that's like the, the least I could do is this much prayer. Like, and, and, and at least I don't skip on that. Right. And, and so you've got a core, you've got a core. That preference, but right. yeah, it's like, right. I have to, like, if, if I'm like, maybe I'm exhausted or maybe I'm not feeling well, or I'm sick or whatever. And my evening prayer ends up being, I'm just going to go in there and, you know, pray my basic prayers and sing one song and go. Right. That's not what I want to do every night, but that's, that's my minimum. So I don't know who that's accountable to. I feel like that's well, accountable to me and God, but. Right. Right. So that's the thing. Like if you need, then that's the point is if you need additional accountability, then um, then you can find uh, somebody else that you just check in with about it, you know, yeah. and that might be on a weekly level or on a daily level. Like, for example, I've got, a, I'm in a men's group and we check in with each other every day about how we've been doing with our prayer life. Oh, and wow. that flowed yeah. out of, that flowed out of some Exodus 90, that's my old Exodus 90 group. We've stayed together. Some of us have, and we check in with each other and say, yeah. So one of the things is if I don't want to pray in the evening, sometimes knowing that I would write that into my email to the guys at night. It was like, all right, I'm going to say my prayers. And the motivation isn't, you know, the highest motivation. It's not motivated purely by the love of God. Some of it may be like, I just don't want to tell the guys I didn't do my evening meditation. So I'm going to do it. Right? So, yeah. Because I think so, sometimes we have the idea that every time we pray must be some major saint, <laughs> ecstatic event, right? And right. I think in reality, sometimes like the first element is just discipline, like, even we're just going to do our basics and sometimes god uses that and surprises us and sometimes yep. it just keeps us in in a pattern well and that leads into another one of these which is perfectionism right this this mm -hmm. fear of failure this need to pray well you know um and what i'll say is that a lot of when i when i help people start praying is to just be there for the time no matter what happens just put the time in like if we're right at the beginning of this just put the time in, even if nothing happens, even if you're totally distracted the whole time, just put the time in because some of it's just setting aside that time. Yeah. Just creating that space. Yeah. I'm less, and this is me and it may not be to everybody, but I'm less focused on making sure I do every single prayer. Like there's a part of me that thinks if I say the, say the, our father and I stop at our father and for whatever reason I'm being moved to connect with God through just that, those two words. Mm -hmm. that I just sit with that for half an hour. <laughs> That's good enough. Like you good. could ramble on and actually just be all in your head and never connect right. in with God. So right. perfectionism, some people think, oh, I have to do these 30 prayers and right. this way and, or else I don't know what, but right. whereas I would actually say quality is better than quantity in most cases. Right. And are you relationally connecting, right? Because I think one of the ways we can avoid relationship is to get rote with the prayers, you know, and then we execute a task rather than enter into a relationship, you know, which yeah. is really what we're doing. You know, what's funny with all of this stuff, like that perfectionism, I'm wondering from a psychological perspective, right? What's getting in the way? Like what is making a person think either I have to give up, I should just give up because I'm no good at this, or I have to be perfect in some way. Like, who are we? Who are these rules? These internal rules serving? <laughs> well, they're serving, and that gets to another one of these uh, that they're serving a different god. They're serving an idol. Really, it's a problematic god image. It sits at the at the bottom of a lot of this stuff, right? I need to be good enough in my prayer 
to earn the love of God, for example, right? And so, and that in the uh, Coronavirus Crisis Carpe Diem podcast, I spent the episodes 23 to 29 talking about God images, like how they really impact us. And, and so I think they have a lot to do with our decisions about whether to pray or not, our impulses to pray or not pray, you know? So, yeah. So a lot of times, you know, if you're, you know, if you're experiencing, uh, you know, a negative God image, if you've got a negative God image, you know, maybe a God you don't want to spend time with. And so that may be reflected in not setting aside time to pray. Yeah. Yeah. And those are developed because of our, our relational experiences. And that's primarily happening in the psychological realm. A lot of how we see God is cemented in by the time we hit two years old. Yeah, a lot of that so, Dr. Peter, I'm just looking at our time, and you have ten of these, and I feel like we're not we're not going to get through them all. We're not going to get through save them. them. Like this should be for future our future episodes, or for a blog, or something. Yeah, we'll we'll figure out some way to get them in. We'll figure out some way to get them in. Brilliant, I think though they're important. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's so much psychologically that gets in the way of us praying. Think about prayer as a relationship with God. Think about it as the time for relating with God. And think about the things that get in the way of your other relationships, right? If you notice that perfectionism gets in the way of your other relationships, it's likely to somehow have an impact on your relationship with God or your relationship with Mary. If, uh, you know, if, if anxiety gets in the way of your relationships with other people, you may very well be taking that into your relationship with God. I, I think that anything that inhibits our capacity to relate on a human level is going to yeah. be also part of our problem in relating with God and, and you know, in the spiritual life. So, and those, and those aren't per se spiritual things. Those are natural things, but because that's part of us, right? That's part of who we are. It has an impact. And so a lot of people spend a lot of energy looking for spiritual means to overcome their difficulties in prayer when the difficulties really are in the natural realm. They're really something to do in the emotional realm, in the, in the cognitive realm, in the relational realm, in the identity realm. You know, these are all facets of natural level experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love so, it so much. Nope. So, so, th- so the idea in this exercise is to sit down and figure out which of these kinds of things get outside the box of vices. Okay. You know, get outside of just, I'm lazy, you know, or, you know, whatever, get outside the box of laziness or sloth or, you know, whatever, seven deadly sins, you know, let's start to look at it also that this means we shouldn't consider that. Right. But let's also consider the natural realm. Let's also consider you know, what kinds of things are impacting me in my other relationships? What kinds of things are getting in the way of me doing other important things? Because I'll tell you at the end of the day, and this is a point I really wanted to make, uh, Dr. Jerry, is that we do create time and we do, we do make important things happen. The things that are really important to us, we get done. And I do think one measure of what we really valued in our life at the end of it is going to be what we spent our time on. You know, I remember a time in my life where I was spending almost 10 hours a week following the Green Bay Packers and I was spending far less time, even if I added up prayers before meals and I added up going to mass on Sunday and the drive to go to mass on Sunday, I added all, didn't come anywhere near 10 hours a week. And I had to conclude at that time in my life that the Packers were much more important to me than, than my faith. 
Hmm. You know, and so, you know, I mean, th- then looking at it that way, it was like, whoa, you know, that that was really eye opening to think about like, OK, I say that this is the most important thing in my life. But when you actually look at where I'm spending my time, hmm, you know, that's actually not being borne out. Yeah, no, I love it. And that's that really is the oil, isn't it? Right. So you're not maybe in this case, as you're you were analyzing this, the um, you were really putting oil in your lamp. You were putting football yeah football you know and <laughs> and not not i mean i grew up real close to green bay i grew up in a little town called nina not far from green bay and there's a huge cultural aspect of the packers when you grow up in east central wisconsin but um Listen, but, try, uh, but try growing up in uh in uh ontario or <laughs> and uh, the focus on hockey 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 yeah. Well, a little, and it's, baseball, a little bit of baseball, but mostly hockey. Hockey, yeah, I totally, totally get that. Well, and here's just a quote from uh, Pope Paul VI, blessed Pope Paul VI, that I just really liked, and he said this: "If you have lost the taste for prayer, you will re- you will regain the desire for it by returning humbly to its practice. Hmm. If you've lost the taste for prayer." you will regain the desire for it by returning humbly to its practice. So, and I think that's true. I mean, people that, you know, I I yearn for my prayer time now and it took a long time for me to like get to that point where I actually wanted to pray on a regular basis. And now it seems almost indispensable. Yeah. I think, you know, to connect and kind of a, maybe a final note, but connecting with the wisdom reading as well, because I was really moved by the, the line that said for talking Taking thought of wisdom is the perfection of prudence. All right. right. And, and where, whoever for her sake keeps vigil shall quickly be free from care. care. And yeah. I know that for me, if I don't do my morning prayer, it doesn't set up my whole day to be free from care. It sets up my whole day to be full of anxieties. Anxiety. Yeah. So prayer psychologically has an impact on anxiety, in my opinion. Yeah. And for me, I go to irritability. Mm -hmm. I go to irritability. That's, that's my go-to sort of problematic um, state. And, and that's also driven by cares, right? It's also driven by cares. So, so, and other people may go to depression or they may go to another, another experience. Right. So, yeah. 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 Being free from care in a sense means being unburdened of whatever it is um, that is uh, pressing down on us. So powerful stuff. Well, I think this is something we can re- I want to hear the rest of your 10 at some point, but we'll get to that. We'll uh, get to that. We did say we were going to talk briefly a little bit, yes. changing the format. So now this is, and I want to, I want to let our listeners know that this is, this is Dr. Jerry's, this is Dr. Jerry's, like his, his, the fruit of his meditation, his, his vision. And I just love it. So I, I, let's hear it, Dr. Jerry. I'm really interested in it. Okay. Well, it's been a fascinating year for Souls and Hearts. And right. uh, this podcast, we started last Advent. And so we're coming up on next Advent. So cycle B. And so we were thinking, you know, how do we want to retool it? How do we, what do we want to do for the next cycle? Now, in the course of this year, Dr. Peter, you started a, a very successful and powerful and insightful podcast on coronavirus crisis carpe diem, and that even led to the community that you formed. And so um, that's keeping a lot of your time and attention. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been 
Pretty demanding. Yeah. 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 And uh, so one of the things that I thought I would do for Be With The Word would be to launch out and take the lead on Be With The Word starting in, the, in Advent. So it would be, well, kind of solo, but you're still invited to come back in periodically. But I'm also wanting to bring in other guests. Right. And I was thinking the focus for year B would be on marriage and family and really how to have better, to be a better father, to be a better mother, to be get along better with your own parents, how to how parenting, how to um, like really see how do the readings in cycle B speak to this. Just and family, family have, life. Yeah. yeah, family life. And, and also we'll bring in vocations too, and right. people who have vocations to the priesthood or religious life as well. I wanna bring that in and, and to that I was thinking, um, there might be, you know, a lot of probably ones where I'm doing on my own, but I have ideas for people, um, and I'm sure some will come, the Holy Spirit will send some, but people who would be amazing guests to talk on these topics. Yeah. So I want to bring, bring in people who are experts in some of these, but also some regular couples, some regular fathers and mothers to talk about their experiences and, uh, and for that to be really a practical um, focus uh, that things you might get maybe from a, a, edu- a psychoeducation from a marriage and family therapist you get right here. That's really, that's really interesting. And I think I mean, when we started having guests, I mean, when you were on vacation, we had Jody Garneau, uh, mm-hmm. therapist from, from Vancouver, British Columbia. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I think it's going to broaden this out so that it's not just, um, not just, you know, our ideas, but just bring in the expertise of other people. But I like this idea of it being really practical, you know, that you're actually going to be really focusing on practical aspects in family life. Yeah. 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 I'm excited yeah. about it and looking at it from that systemic point of view and give you a little break, Dr. Peter, because doing two podcasts yeah. week to me is a lot. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how to do it. <laughs> well, and you're also going to be retooling Hear the Word, right? A lot of our listeners and viewers may not actually go to Hear the Word, but that's going to be getting a makeover too. So. Yeah. I'm wanting to make that not just uh, where you just sit and hear the readings the way you would at church, but... Um, also have a meditation associated with it. So I'm thinking of reading the readings from a more meditative perspective, so slowing it down, really incorporating some practices of meditation along with it, and then adding some additional meditations. Uh, Maybe, you know, just not a lot, like maybe just a minute or two, but just some, a new tool, a new experience as it relates to those readings to go even deeper into connection and union with God. So here's that would be a, that would be a, that would be a great thing. I'm thinking to listen to on the way to mass on Sunday morning, like yeah. it'd be great for the whole family to be listening to that on the way to mass. Yeah. 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 Or in preparation the week right. before, you know, right. Every, people take it to your prayer time, you know, this kind of thing. So, so anyway, Hey, and listen, we're, it's a few weeks away um, as we're preparing. So if you like our ideas, let us know. If you don't like our ideas, right. don't say anything. No, just kidding. Oh, no, let us know. If you, let us know that too. if you have additional ideas or anything else that you would like to see, then, then, or hear about or topics that we haven't done. And you're like, why haven't they done that? Hey, let us know. Oh, we'd love to hear that. 
Yeah, there's a form at soulsandhearts.com where you can contact us and you can send us an email and we read those. We actually yeah. read those. So uh, it doesn't just go into a dead a dead email box or something like that. We're responsive to those. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, Dr. Peter, so good to see you this week. And you. I hope you and all our listeners have a great coming new week. And uh, until next time, be still. Believe. Be loved. Be loved. Take care. God bless you. Man.